Are you ready for some high adventure coming up next on the Mutual Audio Network? The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. I stood there in the rain, surrounded by my friends. All morning in quiet unison, I thought back to that night. I drove around for 12 hours straight, erratic, directionless, angry. There was no way to find her in time, but I could have killed Jonah when I had the chance and I didn't. I was the last to leave you, lady. I stood over your final resting place. Your cold rectangular tomb. I was hoping you'd just bust out of your coffin and we could just leave here. Fly away to some place with bars on the beaches and live out our days in bliss. There weren't any tears. None left. They say an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. But right now I'd give my eyes to feel Jonah's last breath under my clenched hands. Gasping for air as I took far too much pleasure in feeling his veins pumping less and less until nothing. The thought gave me a tingle of relief. Through a sealed envelope on the mounding dirt that coated the casket. It was my farewell. The first and last love letter I'd ever write. I meant it. I wasn't just feeling sorry for myself. I stared into the dull sky, raining bullets down on me. I was too overwhelmed to remember an umbrella. Maybe I thought I deserved the discomfort. I would be seeking penance for a long time. But it was time Jonah paid his due. My teeth grinded in my mouth. I pulled my coat closed tightly and slowly made for the car.
The medical examiner had some evidence for Joe, and Joe wanted to talk about it over at Pan's. He'd most likely try to talk me out of doing something stupid. But if he didn't want me to do something stupid, he'd never tell me where to find Jonah. Headlights illuminated the pooling of rain on the uneven portions of the road. It was Joe and his beat-up cruiser turning into the lot. I could hardly tell through the rain coming down like crazy. Seems like it hasn't stopped raining since Lady's body was found dead on the street. Drained of blood, with two holes in the neck. Just like all of Jonah's victims, except the landlord. I heard he was ripped to shreds with blood everywhere, which was not the standard procedure for this killer. Must have really hated his guts. I'm surprised he didn't disfigure Lady considering how much he must have hated my guts for being hot on his trail. Or the incident with the car. Joe exited his vehicle, so I did the same. We hurried inside, water pelting my wet head and Joe with an old newspaper over his. An inadequate umbrella, to say the least. Hey Frank, how you holding up? I shrugged. We're gonna get this bastard, Frank. I promise you. And I'm not in the line of work that gives out promises lightly. We sat down. There was a long pause. Like he was still on the fence about telling me what they found. Okay, Frank. I need you to work with me here. What we found under Lady's fingernails was lead dust, but that could have been from where she was taken. And on her clothes was what looked like clay, fresher than the dirt under her nails. After investigating over the past few days, we decided she could have been held at one of two places. You know how Arrowhead River has a lot of clay deposits, so it's murky as hell and prone to overflow when it rains? Well, there's a metalworks shop downtown that has a flooding problem. Part of the reason why it's abandoned. The second place is the condemned orphanage at the edge of town where the river lets out. I remember the small lake there next to it. It was always so cloudy you couldn't see shit in there. No reason for lead to be there, but I figured we could split up and check both locations. He may not be at either, or he could have skipped town already. I'm going over to the shop now. Fine. I'll take the orphanage, Joe. I stood to put on my coat and headed out the door. Hey Frank, hold on a second. Remember how I said we gotta work together on this? If you see him, don't do nothing. Call it into the boys and let them handle it. You're not a cop, and I can't have you making an arrest on my case. Truth be told, your last run-in with that freak almost killed you. Call it in, Frank. He saw the disregard on my face, which was showing just as obvious as my anger towards thinking of Jonah besting me before. He was right. I let my guard down, and Jonah took advantage of it. Just like he took advantage of Lady. Just like he took advantage of that elderly woman. God knows who else. If Joe was worried about a citizen's arrest, he could put his mind at ease. I didn't plan on arresting anyone. Especially Jonah. 
The rain didn't let up. If anything, it was just a torrential downpour. Like we're in the middle of some tropical storm. Didn't slow down my speed, though. Luckily, the weather conditions weren't favorable for a Sunday drive. So no one else decided to take any trips on that long stretch of road leading out of town. I know why Joe sent me to the orphanage. The evidence matched up a lot better with the abandoned metal shop. He wanted to keep me away from there. I turned on the radio, hoping for something to distract my mind at least a little bit. Death tolls continue to rise along with the crime rate. City officials say that there will be increased officers patrolling downtown, and neighborhood watch groups have assembled. In other news, meteorologists say to expect fog and heavy rain over the next two days. Keep your travels local and to a minimum to avoid the dangerous road conditions. I saw the dilapidated facade of what used to be our city's only orphanage. Looked more like a haunted house now. Curtains whipping with the blowing wind outside of shattered and boarded windows. Even the torn cloth was waving me away from this place. I parked far enough from the driveway to avoid detection from someone in the old building. It didn't look like I had anything to worry about, but just to be safe, I stuck to the edge of the path. The lake was overflowing on the property, leaving tendrils of milky silt out to the walkways. There's the clay. I brought a flashlight, which I immediately put to use. Approaching the door handle, it looked clean. The wear of age, sure, but it was clear of the rust and dust that had settled on everything else. I pulled out my revolver, pulled back the hammer. I wasn't taking any chances. What Jonah taught me was that being a second too late could be fatal. Easing my way in the door, my light and gun at the ready. I slid into the dark foyer. Thank God for the storm, I thought. It was so loud if anyone was here, they wouldn't hear my footsteps. Boards let out low growls under my feet. Pounding of rain and broken windows creating an ambient cover. I searched the ground floor yielding little evidence of visitation. Save for the mysteriously clear dining table. Only one spot the table was clear of dust. Someone was here. Maybe a drifter, homeless and seeking shelter in the storm, but I needed to prepare for a more dangerous option. My grip firmed around the pistol. I finished checking the many rooms on the first floor. Classrooms and nurseries, all vacant. Considering the damage to the roof and windows in the living quarters upstairs, I didn't bother investigating there. As I headed back towards the entrance, I saw the staircase leading to the lower floor. The door was ajar. Of course he's in the dark, dank basement of a creepy orphanage during a thunderstorm. I slowly reached for the knob. Pulling it gently open, I heard an approaching sound from behind me. Not this time, Jonah. I won't be too slow this time. I spun around, finger on the trigger. I prepared to fire, but... The space was empty. 
A rat scuttled from box to box in the reception area. My heart rate increased as I resumed my descending of the staircase. The right handrail was void of dust or residue contrasting its parallel counterpart. No doubt about it. Someone else is here. Heel to toe, my soft footsteps gliding through the dusty hardwood. A dim light danced at the end of the hall. A lone candle flickering on a tilted sconce. As I inched forward, I heard a faint humming. The jovial sing-songing of a craftsman at work, doing what he loved. Light peered out of the crack of a doorway by the lit candle. He was there, the man. The monster that killed my lady. Nudging the door with my gun, it opened to a horrific sight. A small boy, not six years old, strapped to the chair, passed out. The room was like a large science lab. It appeared that this is where Jonah has done his horrific work. As a feverishly eager, Jonah slipped to his disgusting syringe claws. I bumped the door, causing it to creak. He looked up with a devilish smile, and I fired a shot, bursting one of his syringed fingers. <laughs> Jonah took cover behind a counter. Oh, well, hello there, Frank. Have you come to be saved too? Are you here to thank me for saving your friend? She didn't cooperate at first, but I, I got her to see the light. <laughs> you crazy bastard! Jonah wormed from one cover to the next. His hands grasped the contents of the countertop. I fired another shot. Jonah stood up briefly, but only to hurl varying sizes of knives and scalpels at me, one of them landing itself firmly in my left thigh. <clears throat> Mr. Dixon, it's so tiresome to have to show you all salvation this way. To force it upon you. Why can't you just come willingly? I can keep you safe, Frank. Safe forever. Isn't that what you would want? Isn't that what Lady would want? You're out of your fucking mind, you know that? What are you doing with kids? You really think you're saving them? You're killing them for God's sakes, it ends here! Jonah raised up to throw more objects, but he was too slow this time. I walked over to see the limp body of Jonah. Both of my shots hit right in the chest. I hobbled across the room to free the kid. I unbuckled his restraints, but he was still out cold. There was a small syringe in his arm that I removed. It must have been some kind of sedative. I put the kid over my shoulder and shuffled out of the room, trickling warm streams of blood out of my leg. I felt the inside of my shoe become wet. As I stood on the first step, I felt a pain in my leg, but not the left with the knife, it was the right. I looked down to see the remainder of that syringe that I took out of the boy's arm lodged into my calf. Fuck. It was already plunged, and I could feel the burning sensation of whatever concoction filled the vial coursing through my veins. My body seized up. Then, darkness. When the child screamed, I shot awake, my body still paralyzed. I looked around to see that I was back in the science lab. A glance downward revealed my body tied up to an old school desk. 
It was so decrepit I knew I could actually break it if only I could move. Scanning the rest of the room, I saw the boy face forward. The grim silhouette danced with pleasure in front of the helpless kid. I need to move. Now. I struggled as hard as I could, and I did regain some sensation in my fingertips. Whatever he shot into me, there wasn't enough of it to keep me out for long. I started to feel my hands in their entirety, but I needed to distract Jonah from hurting the child further. Hey you ugly piece of shit! What the fuck is your problem? Are you insane, stupid, or both? Jonah stopped dancing. He wasn't so pleased with what I said. <clears throat> At least in some small way my plan was working. I started to get feeling back halfway up my forearm. Jonah peered at me over the head of the boy, but continued his awful ritual. Jonah's claws, though partially damaged by my bullets, were still sucking blood through a pump into a jar. Whatever he had, it didn't look like technology that should even exist. It seemed ancient and futuristic at the same time. I had to try harder, or I was going to lose this kid. And I was sick of losing. Hey stupid! What's wrong with you? You too dumb to understand what I'm saying to you? Is your brain broke or something? There we go. That's the button I need to push. He doesn't like it when you make him feel dumb and useless. He was in a full scowl and had ceased his pumping. He was getting angry. You know the lady that you're working for doesn't even care about you. She skipped town already. She even left us a note telling us where you were. The cops are on their way too. You know what else the note said, Jonah? She said that you were so useless that you couldn't even follow the simple instructions that she gave you. And you were a failure. A complete idiot. You're lying. You're wrong. I was her special collector. I got all the blood she needed for it. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, I did give her enough, right? No, 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 I, 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 did, I didn't mess up, I, I, I couldn't have. He was enraged. I've never seen anyone so crazed. He started dragging the pump over with his free hand, angrily hobbling over towards me. It worked. But now how the hell was I getting out of here alive? Well, if she needs more, I may tell you a little... Sorry, Frank. I felt control of my elbows and my lower legs. Just a little more time. Oh yeah, let me hear the story of yours. <laughs> With pleasure. There was a boy, like this little one here. He never had parents. He always looked longingly at the children with their slimy, candy-coated hands, clinging and staining their parents' coats. And their parents, much too happy considering they're ruining their garb. And they were just annoyingly happy that the child existed. The orphan, however, wasn't so lucky. If he was noticed at all, it was not in the form of unconditional love. He spent infancy in foster care. At least that's what he was told. That is, until the neighbors of the foster parents noticed the bruises on the children that lived in the house with him. But as long as he could remember, he was a resident of Mary Grace's orphanage. 
This orphanage, in fact. But the thought of Krace, or any religious connotation, makes me laugh out loud. The irony weighs like a ton of bricks and a belly full of lead. I had almost all of my strength back. I rocked back and forth. I would wait for my moment. Let him talk a little longer. The nuns didn't like the boy, and the priest seemed to like him a little too much. As his favorite boy, he had the honor of sharing the father's bed, as well as the wonderful privilege of being his confidant, whom he expressed himself to quite often in the form of rage, the trait that he so lovingly bestowed upon the orphan. That, I don't think, he'll ever rid himself of. But I think, if he didn't have that, he would have nothing at all. But if he grew up to give others salvation, he didn't want anyone to suffer like he did. So he collects them, and he keeps them safe. Jonah turned his back to me. I couldn't tell whether he was manic or sad. I didn't care either. I felt the weakness of the chair when I shifted my weight. This might be my only chance, I thought. I leaned on the weaker side of the chair, gripping the armrest with all of my strength, and it gave easily under the brunt of my full force. I grabbed a large piece of wood and clubbed Jonah over the back. He spun, grazing my face with his needles. He came down with them pointed at my throat. I stopped the advance by holding back his wrists with mine. He threw a swift punch to my gut with his free hand. I took the blow and headbutted him in the nose. It hurt my head, but the pain was worth the fountain of crimson gushing out of his nostrils. I threw a punch to his face, and another, and another, and another, and another. I wasn't satisfied. I pulled the claws off of Jonah's hand. In a daze, he tried to hold me back, but I was almost twice his size. I let my weight press down on the weapon I turned against its wielder. We fell to the ground, and pinpricks weeped blood along his neck. My overbearing strength allowed me to plunge the claw down. Jonah squirming, gurgling, grabbing for anything. I could see the fear in his eyes, but I didn't stop. Small stones and fragments of the chair I demolished glanced off of my shoulder and back. His last futile attempt at self-defense. Soon the fear in his eyes was replaced by lifeless glass. He was gone. Or something close to it. I'm not particularly proud of it. But I walked over to the pump still attached to the long syringes placed in Jonah. I kicked the switch back on. I watched the tubes fill red as I hobbled to the boy I damn near forgot. I removed his bindings and placed them over my shoulder. From the hall I heard the suction run dry. And I smiled. Okay, Mr. Dixon, this time how about you stay out of the hospital, alright? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Hey, is that kid gonna be alright? 
Oh, um... He didn't make it. If you were a few minutes earlier, there may have been a slim chance. But you did everything you could. Time just... wasn't on his side. <sighs> I dropped my head in my hands. And I cried. <laughs> he didn't die because of Jonah. He died because I couldn't restrain myself. My rage killed this boy. My need for revenge. I could have made it in time if I just beat Jonah down and left. I felt corrupted. I felt it ever since I went too far, but I was trying my damnedest to repress it. Being responsible for a kid's life and failing him? That was the breaking point. His mother would never hold her son again. I wanted to die. To crawl up next to you in your casket, lady, and fade away. And even now I wish I could trade my life for his. That's not how this cruel world works. I worked up the gumption to leave the hospital and went straight to Pan's. I drank and I drank. Every day. For a week. Maybe two. Ulysses could tell I was drowning my sorrows, but didn't have the heart to cut me off. He must have just thought I was taking the news of the kids passing hard. He had no idea it was my fault to begin with. I couldn't muster the courage to tell anyone the truth. I wouldn't want them to think of me that way. Dusty would come up every other day or so, spend some time with me. It cheered me up, I won't lie. I gave him a lot of busy work and some easy cases. Also let him keep any cash he made in the name of Frank Dixon investigating. He suggested we change the name to something that sounded more like a business, and less like a drunk old man feeling sorry for himself. He was right. He suggested Lady Justice Investigations. Has a nice ring to it. And despite how bad I felt, I couldn't keep doing this. I couldn't just drink away my days. I needed to put myself to some use. I needed to do what I figured I did best. Close tough cases and help people however I could. I knew if there was redemption, it was more likely to be at the end of that path than at the bottom of a bottle. My resolution came at a good time. Ulysses slammed an old dusty book reeking of mildew and stagnant water in front of me on the bar top. Ew. That's awful, Ulysses. Listen, Frank, I know you've been down, but let's get you back up on the horse, cowboy. He slapped my shoulder encouragingly. I've been researching for weeks about blood, blood rituals, etc. It got a little easier once I factored in rituals requiring large sums of blood. 47 tomes later, and this. He swung back clumps of moist, dirty pages, each wafting an acrid, rotting stench until he opened a page and thrust his finger to a picture. A haunting sketch of devils holding, well, dancing with jars of what must have been blood in a circle around a part fish, part opera singer who was in concert. I assumed she was the author's interpretation of a siren. Okay, what the hell am I looking at here, Ulysses? Well, I have good news and bad news, Frank. The good news is twofold. Firstly, undoubtedly, this is the ritual she needed the blood for, 
and why she had Jonah collecting it. More good news is we can stop her. Okay, and what's the bad news? This rite is called Yanwaleti, or the Gate of Death. Christ, is this even real? Could she actually do this? If I'm being honest, Frank, I don't know. No one ever has before, but she's an ancient. Possibly even one of the first of her kind. Cordelia has been around so long, there may be pieces to the puzzle only she knows. I don't know why she would open a portal to hell or something like it. I'm not sure what she has to gain from it. The book says it must be during a new moon when God has left the night to devils. There's a small map folded up between the pages. It's quite worn, but it looks like it encompasses the whole world. And there's intersections in handwritten lines. Like some kind of mystical vein coursing through the earth. There's what looks like little trees drawn beside some of these points. There's an odd tree in the depiction in that book. So there is. Frank, I think we do need to leave now. I can chart a course on the way. Ulysses pulled an atlas off the shelf and tore out the world map overlaying it to the ancient parchment. He pushed me out the door and we got in the car and left. We just took off. No plan. Hardly a clue which direction to take. So lady, you're up to speed. If you are listening in heaven, if there even is one, put in a good word with the big guy, won't you? I think I'm gonna need all the help I can get. Well, thanks for stopping by, stranger. Hope you enjoyed yourself. If you're looking for more Neon Shadows, you can visit the Neon Shadows Speakeasy on Facebook or Neon Shadows Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or look us up as Neon Shadows on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time, stranger. And remember, keep to the Neon Shadows. Neon Shadows is written by Ian Knowles and voiced by Dan Faulkner, Amber Tubman, Sean Goodrich, Marcellus Clay, Tyler Brown, Logan Lankowski, and Ian Knowles. Copyright 2020, reuse or reproduction of our content is strictly prohibited. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end-of-the-week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of F's. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.